You're listening to the Option Alpha Podcast from OptionAlpha.com, where we show you how to make smarter trades, learn how the stock market really works, and generate consistent monthly income. Now, your host and head trader at OptionAlpha.com, Kirk Duplessis. Hey everyone, this is Kirk here again from OptionAlpha.com, working every single week to make this the most popular investing podcast offered online and in iTunes because it's based on one thing and one thing only, and that's helping you guys make smarter trades. So again, thank you so much for tuning in to today's show. On this podcast, we are going to be talking about rolling options forward. In particular, we're going to go through a couple multi-month case studies in TLT and IWM. I got to tell you guys right off the bat, I actually lied to you. We are going to go through three case studies today, and we're going to have a little bonus case study in OIH as well. So not two case studies, but actually three case studies because I'm really feeling jazzed up about all this stuff and really excited about it. I think it's going to help out tremendously just to kind of see and hear and walk through the process of how we were able to roll contracts and basically turn trades that should have been you know, 100% losers into winning trades. Now, also it's very exciting for me right now is that at the time I'm actually recording this podcast, which is not the same day, nor is it one day or two days before the podcast actually goes live. In this case, I'm recording this podcast a little bit early because our third child is due to be born any time now. And actually, by the time this podcast goes out, 100%, we will be assigned a new baby. That that baby's contract expiration date, that nine-month expiration, is now up for baby in the next week by the time I'm recording this. So by the time you actually hear this podcast and it goes out on May 21st, we will have a new addition to our family, which I'm sure you guys would have seen me boasting about all over the place. We don't know who or what it is. We don't know if it's a girl or a boy. We've already got two girls already, so hopefully... We get a boy. If we have three girls, I know what to expect now, except I'm going to be totally freaked out about what to expect maybe when they're teenagers and all three of them are teenagers. So it's kind of weird for me to do a podcast knowing that it's going to be going out and I will at that point in the future know what we have as far as a baby, but but don't know right now. So anyways, just want to let you guys know we are doing this one a little bit in advance because I'm trying to batch these so that we get a couple of podcasts out and I have time to spend with my wife and kids during that process. So like I said, in today's podcast, the focus is really on rolling options forward and particularly why we do this and what the benefit of it, of doing it is and the logistics of how you actually go about it. So I'm going to try as best I can to go through these examples here today in audio format. I know you can't see my screen, but we do have a bunch of videos on the website, also on YouTube. If you search rolling podcasts or TLT or IWM case studies, you can search all this stuff and see another example kind of in visual format, which I think will help out. So to begin, as far as rolling goes, you know, why we do this and why we think that it's it's really beneficial, I think it gets back down to a question that people always ask when they get started in options trading and they, they start learning a little bit more about it, whether they're actually just starting or not. Even some advanced traders or so-called advanced traders start asking this question and that's, you know, if all this stuff works out, I see trades that right now don't meet the perfect pricing requirement, right? So a trade where, say, it's a $1 wide spread and you need you know 30% of the width of the spread to get perfect pricing or near perfect pricing, and it's not there, but then they see me make the trade and they ask, well, Kirk, you didn't get perfect pricing, so when you lose 70% of the time, you're going to lose more than you're going to win, or when you lose 30% of the time, you're going to lose more than you win the other 70% of the time. And so... For that reason that all this stuff doesn't work out. It's, you know, mostly a zero sum game or negative expectancy model. But in many cases, what 
What you're not including in that or one of the factors that you don't include in that is the ability to take a losing trade and actually adjust and turn it around into either a smaller loss or a winning trade. You know, I always tell people is that we rarely ever lose the full amount on a trade. I mean, it happens for sure where we just, you know, can't adjust, can't roll, can't do anything. We're just kind of pigeonholed and stuck. But very rare does that actually happen where you are physically tied from being able to do anything for a contract. And so when you're faced with a trade that doesn't go your way, which we know is bound to happen, so we're not ignorant to the fact that we're not going to have losing trades or trades that don't go our way, there's a lot of things that you can do to reduce that risk and or to turn the trade around by rolling and extending your trading duration. And so that's one of the ways that you can turn this zero-sum game around in your favor. Because say you have 30% of your trades that are going to be losers, well, what if you could turn 5% of those around and actually turn them into profitable trades by using some of the techniques that we talk about in this podcast, that totally turns the zero-sum game around and flips it on its head. So in today's show, I want to go through three different case studies. And the reason I want to go through three is just to prove that it happens all over the place. And this is probably three of dozens that we've done over the past couple of years. It happens all the time, but these three have happened just recently here in the early part of 2018. And so I think it's a little bit more timely because you've seen and you've maybe experienced markets moving a little bit more volatile this year than maybe they did before in the past. And so these three case studies also hit three different market sectors. So we have TLT, which is bonds. We have IWM, which is the major market index or one of the major market indexes. And then we have OIH, which is an oil ETF, so commodities. And again, it hits all of these different industries because the techniques and what we're talking about are universal to whatever you're trading. It doesn't matter that you're trading gold or Apple or Snapchat or whatever you're trading. You can use these same types of strategies in whatever underlying you're trading because the concepts work across all different types of sectors and underlyings. And the reality is, is that it happens in both directions. And what I mean by it happens in both directions is that as you'll see today on the podcast, when we start going through it, we do see cyclicality in both directions. I know that's kind of a crazy concept, but what that means is that if markets go up, sometimes they come back down. And if markets go down, sometimes they come back up. And again, I know that's a weird concept because everyone really thinks that if the markets go up, they'll never come back down. Or if markets go down, they never come back up, but it happens. And it happens a lot more often than you think. Look, things do not move in parabolic states, meaning we don't see stocks go parabolic forever. They have retracements, they have pullbacks, and it happens in both directions. When a stock runs up, it has usually some sort of pullback and move down. When a stock runs down really hard and has a hard sell-off, you get some bottom feeding and the stock rebounds. And if you understand just that natural concept of the ebb and flow of the market, I think you'll understand why this rolling strategy works really well for option sellers. So the first one that we're going to go over here today is our case study in TLT. Now, TLT is an interesting one because we actually got into this initial trade in TLT back on 1-9, so January 9th of 2018, and we sold an Iron Butterfly for $3, so a $3 total net credit. We sold the 124 Iron Butterfly in TLT, so again, a $3 credit at this point means that our true break-even points, even though we sold the Iron Butterfly centered at 124, is 127 on the call side and 121 on the put side. So ideally, what we're looking for at this point, 
was TLT to be trading between 127 and 121 by February expiration. Okay, so we were just selling a simple iron butterfly in TLT and we sold it on 19. Now again, you can go back and check our videos. We have videos on YouTube now that are all public by now that show you the entry. So the entry videos public, adjustment videos are all public the day that we made them. So this is all verified stuff you can check. And if you want to fact check me on all this, you can look up and pull up a pricing chart of TLT, etc. But at that point, TLT had been range bound for basically the entire back half of 2017. So at that point, all we were doing is we were just selling premium like we had done all of 2017 in TLT. It actually ended up being one of our better performing tickers in, in 2017. But lo and behold, we were bound to get some losing trades. And almost immediately after we sold that spread, TLT started to move down in dramatic fashion as the markets got more volatile in February of 2018. So as the market started to move down, our position quickly went underwater. In fact, we had almost no opportunity to actually close out of the position with anything close to a profit. In fact, it like barely showed a profit at all, maybe five or $10 the first two days. And then just boom, TLT started to crash and moved as low as by February expiration. So basically the time period that we needed TLT to move sideways, it moved all the way down to 118. Now, again, just as a recap, we had sold the 124 iron butterfly for $3, meaning that our lower end break even point was 121 and TLT was yet another $3 below that level. So we effectively saw almost a two standard deviation move in TLT. So actually a really big move in the bond market that we hadn't seen in quite a while. But at that time period, we could have done one of two things, right? So we could have obviously closed the position and just 100% bank the loss and just taken it, I guess. I don't know what other way there is to say it, but we could have just basically closed the position and taken the loss. And that's what most people assume you would do with an options trade. They assume, okay, at expiration, you have a loss, you can't do anything about it. There's nothing you can do. So you take the full loss and this is why Kirk, this is all a scam and it doesn't work because you have these big losses. But what we decided to do was to do something a little bit different. And it's not that hard and complicated. And I want to walk through it. All we decided to do was literally move the position from the February expiration contracts out to the March expiration contracts, meaning we wanted to close the February position and reopen the exact same strike prices the exact same spread width, the exact same number of contracts, but just this time in the March contracts. And this is called a rolling trade. So we are rolling the position from one month to the next month. Now, what I say is when you roll a contract, you're always trying to do one major thing first. And the first thing that you have to do when you roll contracts is make sure that you are not paying to extend your time. Meaning if you're going to take conceivably more time and risk, but I think it's a benefit, but some people look at it as more risk in having the position on for another month, you need to get compensated for that. Our first order of business with any adjustment or rolling trade is reduce risk. We want to be able to reduce the risk in the trade so that if the trade still goes bad the next month, we actually lose less money, which means that we will always take in a net credit when we roll contracts. So again, we'll always take in a net credit when we roll contracts. Now we're never going to roll and then pay money. And when you roll and pay money, you're saying, okay, out of this $3 
credit that I received, I'm willing to take $50 less and roll the contracts out to next month. In my opinion, I don't think it's ever worth doing that. At that point, you are physically paying to move the position to one month and you could lose more money. I don't think you should do that. I don't think you should dig your hole deeper per se with that trade. So in the case of TLT and basically all of the ones that we're going to go through here today anyway, we always rolled for a net credit. Now in the case of TLT, we rolled the put side out using a vertical roll order, which is nothing more confusing than just saying we closed the put spread side, which was in the money, right? That was the side that was getting challenged. We closed the February contracts and reopened the March contracts. Again, the exact same strike prices, the exact same spread width. We didn't increase our position size at all. We kept everything very systematic and we rolled that side out for a debit of 30 cents. I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, whoa, 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 Kirk. You just said you have to roll these contracts out for a net credit and we do. So in many cases, when you actually are rolling, you may end up rolling one side or another for a debit. But again, the summation of everything that you're doing has to be a net credit. So that was just one side of the trade that we rolled out. So then we went right in and we sold the March contracts, again, the same spread width, the same number of contracts for 34 cent credit. So that 34 cent credit covered our 34 cent debit that we paid on the put side and left us with four cents extra. Now, in this case, this was a really thin roll. I mean, we didn't get paid a lot of money to do this. It basically, you know, covered the commissions and then a little bit to roll these contracts out to the next month. But for us, what it did, because it didn't add any risk, in fact, it reduced risk just a little bit, is it gave us 30 extra days to maybe see if TLT had some sort of a bounce, right? So that's the second component of rolling. If you can accomplish the first component of rolling, which is roll for a credit, then the next component is easy. You're just extending the timeline so that if the stock turns around, you can participate. So think about it this way. And this is the way I always try to explain it to people when I do coaching with them. I always tell people, if your position size is small enough and you can hold the position, why not give it another 30 days to potentially turn around and be a winner? And people always say, yeah, but it's a loser right now. And I would say, well, if it's a loser in 30 days, what did you lose? If it's a $500 loser now and say it never turns around in 30 extra days and it's a $500 loser next month, in defined risk positions like this, you don't have anything to lose. You're not losing any additional money. You're actually gaining more time for the potential position to turn around. So in our case, even though we rolled it for a very small credit, the additional time that we were able to gain in this was everything because we had the ability to potentially turn this trade around. Now, fast forward a little bit of time, and you can again see this when you go and look at TLT, but fast forward another 30 days to March expiration, and surprise, surprise, TLT basically moved nowhere. TLT basically started the month at around 118, 119, and it ended the expiration cycle at around 118, 119. It basically moved nowhere. So our quote-unquote worst fears were realized. The stock never rebounded. But now that we're at the end of March expiration, we've held this position basically from January through February, now into March, still same position, never added to it, never increased the position size, et cetera. Now, when we got to March expiration, we decided, hey, look, we can roll this contract out again to the April contracts, right? And at this point, just so you guys know, on my end, I get like bombarded with emails from people saying, why don't we just close this? Like we're holding on to it forever. And I just keep telling people, look, you just got to be patient. If you can get paid to roll 
and extend the trading duration or your trading timeline, keep doing it. Keep doing it until you can't do it anymore, right? So in this case, now we rolled the contracts out again to April. So we're still challenged on the put side. We rolled the put side out this time because implied volatility was a little bit higher. We actually rolled the put side out for a 10 cent credit. So it didn't cost us anything actually on the put side to roll. And then we added the call side again, selling the 124, 129 call spread. Again, same number of contracts, same spread width, didn't change anything. And we sold the call spread for 19 cents. So now we're selling these for 29 cents and we've reduced risk on every single iron butterfly that we did by another 29 cents. So again, playing devil's advocate, if we go all the way to April expiration now and the stock still hasn't moved, at least we've lost 29 cents less on each single position. And again, just for full disclosure, 29 cents of option pricing is $29 of actual like notional value of option contracts, right? So every time that we're rolling, not only are we getting paid to roll and keep the position a little bit longer, but we're reducing risk. So if the stock stays here, at least we still don't lose the full amount of money that we would have lost had we just thrown in the towel and closed out of the position in February. So now that we have the position now for our second roll, we're looking forward to TLT potentially moving back up, right? We want to see TLT finally make some sort of a move back up. Well, surprise, surprise, we actually did get that move early in the April cycle. That's kind of the markets rebounded and bonds started to rebound. TLT at one point rallied back up to around 122. So it had come as low as 116 and a half during like the absolute like bottom end of the spectrum. And it had taken about a month and a half to rally back up to $122. Now, if you recall from earlier, our break-even price on this trade, not including the additional credits that we took in on the roll, was about $121. So at that point, now we've been holding on to the trade for a while. We were able to actually close out of the position completely for a $285 debit. And that left us with about a couple hundred dollar winner on the trade. It's like $70-ish winner on the trade by all the credits and debits that we took in. So we originally sold it for $3. We rolled our first one for $4. We rolled our next one for $29. And so at the end of the day, we were left with a total credit on the whole thing before we closed of $333. So we increased our total credit by rolling. And then when we were able to close the position, for 285, we were left with a $48 profit times the two contracts that we had. So yeah, like a hundred bucks in potential profit that we turned this thing around. This was a multi hundred dollar loser. Had we done nothing at all by February expiration that we were able to turn this zero sum, theoretically zero sum game around and turn it into actually a profitable trade. So how many of you guys would have potentially liked to turn around some of your trades before in the past. And all we did was nothing magical. It's nothing groundbreaking. It's just staying mechanical and patient. I mean, you have to understand the patience that was required. And I know this now because I go through it. And I have to like email a bunch of people all the time when people are freaking out about this. And I feel like a therapist sometimes. But you understand the patience that's required to do that. But it's so worth it in the end. Because if you can keep rolling for duration like that, and be able to extend the trade, extend the trade, extend the trade, extend the trade, and have something that should have been a loser turn all the way back around and become a winner, it's very, very rewarding. And once you do it one time, I promise you, you'll start doing it over and over again. 
So the next one that I want to go over now is our IWM trade. Okay. So we went ahead and we did another trade in IWM. This is another case study I want to look at. Probably a little bit better case study. I don't know, maybe better, but it's a favorite of mine right now because it really proves the point. I've been like, I was screaming at the rooftops and telling people just to keep rolling this trade, keep rolling this trade. And eventually people kind of threw in the towel and they did it right before the trade turned around. And I was, you know, kind of did the old, uh, like told you so type thing to people and <laughs> told them, you know, like you should have continued to roll and done it. And so that's why I'm doing this podcast now. So our first trade in IWM, which is a major market index, our first initial position, this is crazy that this is so far back, was actually in November 15th of 2017. That was actually our first position. Again, we did a nice wide iron butterfly in IWM. And the initial position that we had took in a credit of $629. So pretty big credit. We did a couple contracts in IWM. We sold the 145 calls, the 145 puts, and then we bought the 157 calls and the 133 puts. So we did a pretty wide spread here in IWM. And again, that was in November of 2017. Now, if you look at a chart of where IWM was at that time, IWM was actually at the bottom of a little bit of a down move before this most recent huge run-up that it had as we got into the February 2018 peak. So we actually literally entered this contract at the worst time again in IWM. And we were just doing nothing more than just being mechanical, entering new positions in the major market indexes, et cetera. So IWM had had a run up from August through September, had pulled back in October and into November. And so literally the day that we entered these contracts at 145 was the absolute low before it ran up through 2018. So again, we had no opportunity whatsoever to close this thing out for a profit, not even close. I mean, from day one, it kind of went against us, but we had a risk-defined position. We kept our position size small, so it was completely manageable for us. Well, when we entered into that contract, we were trading the January contracts for 2018. So we had to hold through the rest of November. We held through the rest of December all along. The market still continues to rally every day. It seems like it's creeping higher. Kirk gets a million emails from people. Why aren't we closing this thing? We just need to take a stop loss, et cetera, et cetera. And I keep telling people, look, keep your position size small. Let the numbers work out. Like we'll roll if we need to roll. And we get to January expiration and lo and behold, the market is considerably higher. Never pulled back. It basically ran, continued higher through January expiration. So what do we do? We rolled our contracts out to the February expiration cycle. Now, in this case, in IWM, because when we got into January, implied volatility was just a little bit higher in January than it had been when we entered the contracts, we were able to actually roll these contracts for a massive credit out in the next month. Okay, and I'm not talking like $4 credit. I'm talking like a pretty good credit to be able to roll these contracts out. So just like we had done before with TLT, we rolled our strikes, all of our strikes out to the next month, the exact same contracts in both cases. We did not increase the spread width. We didn't increase the number of contracts. It's literally like we picked up the position, moved it out to the next expiration cycle. Now we moved the outside legs out for a 109 debit, but we moved the inside legs out for a 143 credit. 
So at the end of the day, we still were able to move this thing out for a pretty decent credit on a roll. And again, this thing is super far in the money. I mean, there's no chance that this thing is going to be a winner at January expiration, super far out of the money, not a chance that this thing is ever going to come around. But still, we were able to roll this thing for a nice overall credit. And when we did that, now we increased our total credit in this trade to 663. So again, even if at this point we never saw the market turn around, at least we were able to reduce risk because we didn't increase the width of our spreads, but we increased the net credit that we took in. So that was able to reduce risk on the trade. So if it still continued to move higher, we were faced with a trade that would not have been a loser or at least would not have lost as much money as the original position. So again, at this point, we have a 663 credit. We rolled our contracts out to the February expiration cycle. And again, as we're going towards the February expiration, the market still continues to move higher, right? So this is January expiration, right? And literally the next couple of days, the market just still continues to move higher and higher. But as we got much closer to expiration, we started to see the market fall apart. And in early February, obviously we all know what happened, but the market basically fell off a cliff and fell all the way down to, surprise, surprise, $145, which is our exact level that we needed to sell this position at. So our IWM position came all the way back around and fell all the way down to our 145 short strikes, which is exactly where we wanted it to be. Now, many people at this point would say, and a lot of people did say, and this is why I'm doing this podcast and I've done these videos for years now. I have like dozens and dozens of these examples on the website, but many people at that point said, Kirk, that's just luck. And then I point to them and I say, is it luck that it happened in TLT and it happened in OIH and IWM and XOP and this and this and this and this and this and this and dozens and dozens of examples. Guys, this happens all the time. Is it maybe lucky that it happened At this point, at this time, when we had our short strikes right at 145, sure, we could have had our short strikes at 142, and we would have still been better off by rolling these contracts. But the point of this is telling you guys and showing you with evidence all over the place, both in this podcast and posting these videos all the time online, that this stuff always is cyclical, that markets never move in straight lines. And so when you can roll your contracts from one month to the next to be able to extend the trading timeline and duration, you end up giving yourself an opportunity to turn this entire model on its head and an opportunity to take trades that should have been 100% losses and turn them around into being 100% winners. Now, in this case, we were able to go ahead and close out of our February contracts, the 145s again that we had rolled to for a $588 debit. Now remember, our initial credit was like 629-ish, then we rolled and we had a 663 net credit. And so now we close out this position for 588 for each of those, which means that we made $75 on every contract that we sold after all the rolls and everything. That's crazy because this thing should have been for sure a multi-hundred dollar loser again. And not only did we just bring it back to zero, but we were able to actually make and generate a pretty decent profit on each of those contracts for IWM. So again, that's case study number two. Here's IWM. Everything's public. Everything's online on YouTube. You can search all this. We go through it there as well. 
Now, the third case study that I want to show you guys is our case study in OIH. Now, this happened again just recently at the end of 2017 and heading into 2018. We made another trade in OIH, very similar to the trades we make all the time where we're selling premium, we're trying to stay systematic. And in December or towards the December contracts of 2017, OIH, which is a oil market ETF, had a spike up in implied volatility. So naturally, we pounced like lions on higher implied volatility, and we decided that we were going to go ahead and sell some premium in OIH. And so we decided to sell premium in the January 2018 contracts. We sold the 24 call and put. So basically sold the short straddle at 24 for OIH for $190 credit. So it was a good position for us because it took in about a $2 credit. I mean, 190 bucks, but about a $2 range. So we were looking for OIH to trade anywhere between around 26 and around 22. So by the time we got to expiration at January 2019 and OIH had been range bound, basically, I'm sorry, January of 2018, OIH had been range bound in kind of this 23 to $26 range anyway. We thought, hey, look, implied volatility is spiking up. So good opportunity for us to sell some premium. Well, once again, like all the other ones we've <laughs> gone through here on today's case study and looking at IWM and TLT, OIH was no favorite of ours. It started to move almost immediately against our position. We had very little opportunity to take this thing off at a profit. And by the time that we reached January expiration in 2018, OIH was trading closer to $29. So we were looking for something around $26 to $22, OIH trading up around $29. So again, two plus standard deviation move, huge move in OIH. And I remember at the time saying, and it's all documented on video, I remember saying to people, look, if we can roll these contracts, I think OIH comes down. We were using some technical analysis indicators from our signals research. So we were seeing some flashing sell signals in OIH, and we just knew it was a matter of time before it actually started to turn around. And if we could only roll those contracts out to the next month, then we'd be able to potentially extend the trading duration, reduce our risk, and hopefully see this thing turn around and become a profitable trade. So what do we do? Well, at January expiration, we were able to roll our straddle using a double diagonal order. That's just a fancy way of saying we closed our straddle in January, reopened a new one in February. So that's our rolling position. And we did so for a three cent credit. So again, not a huge credit, but we didn't pay to roll. We got paid to roll this thing out to the next month and we added a little bit of premium. And for us, this was more of a position and a testament to using some of the back testing research that we've done on technical analysis. In fact, I was having a conversation literally the other day with a coaching student and they said, you know, Kirk, it doesn't seem like you use the technical signals that often. And I reminded this person of this trade and I said, you know, we don't use them that often because they don't show up that often. And that's actually the good part about using technicals is that when they show up, you should lean on them because we've done a lot of research on technicals and I lean on them all the time when they're actually showing a signal. The problem is, is that because they're such good indicators, I think the way that, you know, the ones that we found, the variations that we found in our research, because they're so good in many cases, they don't show up that often. I mean, you're not going to get these huge buy and sells every other week. You might get a buy or a sell every couple of months. And when you get them, then you lean on them. In this case with OIH, we had really clear sell signals that OIH was either going to stop moving higher 
or start moving lower at the time that we got to expiration. And so we had to trust those. And I, I even said it in the video up the night that we rolled these contracts. I said, look, we've got to trust that this thing has gone too far, too fast. It's gone parabolic and it should come back down around and kind of retest that move that it just made. So we roll these contracts to the February expiration and literally the next day after January expiration, OIH starts a huge downward slide. Now I know a lot of people that started to close out the position in January. They didn't want to hold the position. They were trading naked, but they kept their position size way too big, not manageable, not small enough for their account to manage through this. And they started closing at January expiration, literally the day before OIH started to have this consistently long move lower. And it took about two weeks, but OIH from January expiration through the middle of or first part of February started a huge downward spiral and fell basically from 30 back down to 24 and change. Almost the same type of move that IWM made in the same time period. So for us, this was really good because now we started to see OIH basically start to collapse. And even though implied volatility had come back up a little bit, we saw that time decay had eaten away a little bit at these contracts to the point at which we were able to close them for $179 debit. Now, again, this wasn't a huge potential win, but for us to see this thing come all the way back around and you start making adjustments and see a trade come literally full circle all the way back around, you know, we were able to take this thing off and actually turn a small profit on it, which is not a lot. Again, it's not going to put food on the table necessarily, but it avoided a potential catastrophic or, you know, very large loss in our account with a two, two and a half standard deviation move against us. So it was a really good case study again in just patience and sticking with the trades and continuing on this, you know, duration path for positions because what you ultimately need to do in options trading is, you know, give yourself an opportunity to win. And sometimes that requires a little bit more patience and a longer trading cycle than maybe you would have wanted to happen, right? As a parent with kids and now as a future parent, as I'm talking to my future self with three kids in the future, but like as a parent, you know, we all want our kids to walk at, you know, whatever age, nine months, 10 months, whenever kids start walking generally, right? But some kids maybe take a little bit longer and we all want our kids to be potty trained by two or, you know, whatever the case is, but some kids might take a little bit longer. And it's the same feeling I have with trades. Some trades just don't go right, right off the bat. And for whatever reason, it's nothing you did or nothing about the setup. You didn't miss anything. And I think that's another misconception people have. You know, they, they think, oh, well, I did something wrong here because it went right against me. No, you're just going to have that. You're going to have trades that just flat out do not work and go against you. But what you don't need to do is put your head in the sand and just take whatever the market gives you. You need to fight back. You need to, and when I say fight, please do not take that out of context and say you need to increase your position size and, you know, do all these kinds of crazy things, but you need to just look at your choices for rolling, look at your choices for making an adjustment or a hedge trade and figure out how you can reduce risk and extend the trading timeline. And in many cases, rolling contracts, if you keep your position size small is a great way to do it because the markets are cyclical and they will come back around. And if they don't, at least you reduced risk in the process. And so my whole goal today on this podcast was to help you guys see how we did that with these three little case studies. So I really hope you guys enjoyed today's show, by the way, before we get into Trader Q&A and the closing bell segment. 
it's really important to me that we get this type of stuff out there. So I think this is one of the better shows that we've done. I personally feel really good about this podcast and kind of putting it together. It's been something I've been wanting to put together for a little while now. And I just had the time to actually, you know, sit down and pull everything together to be able to record it for you guys. If you really enjoyed today's show and thought it was helpful, please send this to somebody, send this to your friends, share it online for us, just throw it out there in the world for other people to kind of get immersed in our community and our ecosystem here at Option Alpha. And of course, if you're listening to this and you haven't yet left a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to the podcast, please do that. That really helps us kind of spread the word and help, you know, build some confidence for other people to start listening and start, you know, joining up and watching the training. So really hope this has been helpful kind of case study. As always, if you guys have questions about it, just let me know. So let's get into the trader Q&A segment. And now our favorite part of the show, Trader Q&A, where we ask a question from one of our current members about options trading. Got a question you'd like to ask Kirk to answer live on the air? Just head on over to optionalpha.com forward slash ask and hit the record button to leave a message. That's optionalpha.com forward slash ask. And now here's today's question. Hi, Kirk. My name is Brian. I'm from Illinois. I've been pretending to trade for about two years now. I say pretending because I've been unsuccessful and not very consistent with it. I've been reviewing your materials for a while. I've been a, a short-term, not short-term, a free member, and I bought your, your signals and a couple of other products of yours. And I've been looking on the website recently trying to find some more information on Theta. I'm really trying to find online somewhere about how Theta decay works. And I've seen the graph that you presented before as well, where it shows that when you have about 30 days or so, it has a steep decline in the decay of the option premium due to Theta decay. But I'm trying to find out if there is a difference between theta decay and the graph associated with that when you're looking at options that are in the money, at the money, and out of the money, and how to either maximize or minimize theta decay based upon choosing the strikes in relation to the actual stock price. Thanks, Kirk. You're great. All right. Hey, Brian, thank you so much for submitting a question here and also for being a member as always. So understanding theta decay and then choosing strikes, I think when it comes to understanding theta decay, and I think you you know this, but I'll just blanket say this for everybody else, but theta decay is this like constant drip that happens out of the bucket of your premium in, in option contracts. So option contracts are future forward looking. They have time built into them because time is valuable, but as time starts to run out, so does the premium that's built in for time. And so that starts to increase at an exponential pace until about 40, 45 days. And that's really where it starts to almost like really kind of really bend the curve. That's where you get the steepest line of decay and it really starts to accelerate at that point. So that's why we generally like to sell options 40, 45 days out because selling options too far out, you don't really get the major benefit of time decay as much as you would if you're selling options, say 40, 45 days on average. From there, choosing strike prices becomes a give and a take. So what we found is that about a one standard deviation ends up being a good starting point. Obviously, I would use you know, our trade optimization software and back testing to see if, you know, one standard deviation trade or 15 Delta ends up being a good point. If I'm 30 days out versus 40, where implied volatility is versus where it's not, that would always be another basis for me to make a decision on. But when you look at strike prices in a whole, the closer you get to the actual at the money contracts, the faster that time decay is going to impact those positions because of other things like volatility and gamma effect. So it's generally, people say like it's always the same across all strike prices, but the closer in contracts just seem to have more of an impact 
on Time Decay than, say, the further out contracts. Because the further out contracts just, they don't have as much likelihood of actually going in the money. So when you look at some of the closer contracts, you start to see the theta decay numbers be a little bit higher. And we're talking, you know, say $5 compared to $4 for out of the money contracts. The further out of the money you get, the markets know and markets are efficient that there's a very low likelihood that those contracts are going to be hit. So they don't even really assign any theta decay value to them, really. It's mostly just delta and gamma, you know, and maybe a little bit of volatility value. But it's those closer in contracts that actually have more of an impact. But that means you might be taking more risk, too, because you're selling contracts closer to the money. And so they could potentially turn around and become, you know, losers much quicker than, say, a further out of the money contract. So I think it's a given to take. I think maybe a 15 delta is a good starting point to kind of analyze it. And then from there, maybe look at other factors. Theta is not just the only thing that we look at when we make a trade. So as always, hopefully you guys enjoy these questions. If you have a question that you want to get answered live on the podcast or on Facebook and Periscope here in the future, please head on over to optionalpha.com slash ask and click the big red button in the middle of the screen, just like Brian did today on the show and leave me a private voicemail. Again, there's no software to download or install. It's incredibly easy. And please don't be shy about it. We get all types of questions and we need to keep a very full backlog. So if you're thinking to yourself, oh, I've got a question about today's show or a show that we did last week or the month before, please get that in because it always helps me to hear what you guys are thinking and to have a constant stream of content for you guys to answer here on the podcast. Again, if you guys are interested, we're going to be releasing very soon our new auto trading software. So please Keep an eye out for that on the website. Just stay engaged on our newsletter and in our membership. We'll have more updates on our new auto trading software, which is coming out very shortly. And we're very excited about that. We've been kind of uh, beta testing and uh, stress testing it against all types of different scenarios and uh, setups and trades and you know frequency and all that stuff. So it's been very fun. And I think you guys are really, really going to enjoy it. So that's my push for today. Just stay engaged on the website and in the membership and be up to date with what's going on with the new auto trading software. Now, the closing bell. Find out which stocks we're looking at right now, trades we're making, and hear our game plan moving forward. All right, so in today's closing bell segment, I actually want to go through an earnings trade that we just made in Twitter. So the reason I want to go through this trade is because, you know, I think with earnings trades, it really compresses this whole time period down dramatically and it really focuses people's attention for better or for worse because people love to make money quickly but they hate to lose money quickly but for better or for worse earnings trades for me compress the whole timeline down into basically a day and all we're doing is taking advantage of the drop or crush in implied volatility now we've done podcasts just recently a couple episodes ago on why you can't buy options heading into an earnings event and how that's so bad and that's why we start selling options right before an earnings event, because we want to take care of that implied volatility crush that's going to happen around earnings. So in the case of Twitter, Twitter actually announces earnings after the close here. And so what we're going to do is we're going to trade a at the money iron butterfly in Twitter, very wide iron butterfly in Twitter. But the goal here is to get outside of the expected move. Now expected move in Twitter right now is about $3 and 50, 60 cents or so. And so our iron butterfly is collecting a $3.65 net credit. Now we're selling the at the money strikes because we want to be as neutral to the move in Twitter as humanly possible. So 
We are expecting Twitter to have a big move. It's going to be moving big. That's a big technology company, big social media company. It's been hit or miss all over the place with its earnings. And so I have no idea what to expect. So we just want to be as neutral as humanly possible to that potential move. So we're selling the at the money, $30 calls, at the money, 30 strike puts, and then buying options on either end on the 37 calls on the further end and the 25 puts on the lower end. Again, taking in a net credit of $3.65. Now, in this case, we're doing things just a little bit different because at the time we're recording this podcast, it's Tuesday. We're actually trading or not doing anything different, but just as a difference than maybe say our regular trades that we make our regular monthly trades. With earnings trades, we always trade the front most weekly contracts. So in this case, we're trading the front most weekly contracts which have all of the implied volatility juice kind of baked into them. And that is the April 27th contracts that we're trading right now. Like I said, we're recording this podcast well in advance. So by the time that this comes out, this trade would have either made money or lost money. But in this case, it's a good case study just to kind of hear my thoughts and process as I walk through this in advance. But we're trading the monthly or the weekly contracts that expire on Friday this week, which is only three days away from when we're trading this on Tuesday. Again, with all of these earnings trades, you want to enter them the day before they announce or the session before they announce. So if Twitter announces earnings at the end of the day, you want to get into them that day before the market closes. If they announce tomorrow morning before the market opens, you want to get into it the prior day. It's always the session before they announce. That means that you're going to be taking advantage of just purely that drop in implied volatility. So we'll see what happens here, but the goal is going to be tomorrow, see where Twitter opens up and hopefully close out this thing here with a nice profit on the drop in time decay or implied volatility. Thanks for listening to the Option Alpha podcast. If you liked what you heard, please drop by iTunes and leave a rating or comment. Plus, you can get everything. Free email updates for future shows, transcripts, video tutorials, case studies, and more. Just visit our website at optionalpha.com. All right, so I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. And as always, got at least one thing out of it that you can apply right now to make you a smarter, more profitable trader and investor. As always, you can get additional resources, links mentioned in the show, and some related video training from today's show about rolling trades by going to optionalpha.com slash show 131. Again, that's just the number 131, optionalpha.com slash show 131. Until next time, happy trading.